Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Where to hunt Where podcast. To hunt it's, it's, okay. It's, okay. it's okay. It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Man, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bow Hunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. It's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Howdy, and welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Today is January 28th, 2020. I'm your host, Eric Clark. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for everybody that may have watched the live feed. Uh, for those that don't know or might need a reminder, since it's still the first month of the new year, uh, the Where to Hunt podcast airs live every single Tuesday from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, and we take live calls. So um, you can call 262-757-4122, and you can actually talk with us. You can hang out on the show with us. You can ask our guests questions. Um, it's a pretty good time. It's a pretty neat thing, and uh, we're excited about it. It's a something we've been doing for a little while now and uh, we're having fun with it so that being said i know this is the time of year when folks kind of check out to some degree um, we're through the holidays all that stuff we've, we have been for a little while but now we're in the the vortex of winter and cabin fever is setting in and we're heading into the time when deer start shedding their antlers it's just starting to happen um, starting to see photos kind of emerge on social media and this is a time to be scouting this is a time to get out and look for sheds and get that excuse to get outdoors. Um, but you can also cover a lot of ground in swampy areas too. Everything's frozen. So um, if you're looking for an excuse to get outside, that's something you can be doing. All right. Call out to our sponsors. Our title sponsor, Backwoods Grind Coffee. Backwoodsgrind.com. If you head over to their website, you can enter in code W2H podcast and you're going to save 10% off of their coffee. So. The Camp House Blend is my personal favorite, although their other ones are great too. Um, you know, I always recommend, I think you guys hear me say this on basically every single show, try out a sampler pack. You can get, uh, you know, a whole bunch of different blends for a low cost and see what you desire and go from there. But I will warn you when you go to the website, it smells like coffee. And I don't know that that's a warning. Um, it just smells so good. You know how coffee just smells so good? And sometimes it... In some cases, like there's certain coffee shops, it smells better than it'll taste even. Like the aroma of coffee is something to be desired and uh, their website does not let you down. So let's switch boots. I do recommend switching boots to Gumleaf Boots. Gumleafusa.com. These are handmade boots from scratch. They, they are put together piece by piece. Um, it's a really cool video to watch on their YouTube channel, also on their website. But if you go over there... Um, you know, take a look at what they got. These boots are super comfortable. I rocked them out all season long for the 2019 deer hunting season from start to finish. 
And um, I tell you, the comfortability was incredible. So you can enter in code W2H2019 and you can get free shipping. All right, let's go ahead and get into our recipe of the week. The recipe of the week. The recipe of the week is brought to you by Musket Powder. Completely cover, then add a little more. Camp tested. You hear that? That's the sound of tastiness. All right, the recipe this week comes from a listener, Joe, out of Wisconsin. Uh, I don't have a name for it other than we're going to call it the vacuum venison steak. And for those that haven't heard of something that I'm not going to pronounce correctly, just like I did last week, um, the sous vide. That's S-U-V-I. This is a modern age cooking mechanism uh, that can cook meat in water and it heats the water to a perfect temperature, keeps it there, and you allegedly with this device cannot overcook your meat. So the vacuum venison steak. Uh, This listener uses musket powder, oddly enough, so they're going to be happy to know that they are the winner of a fresh new pack. So they recommend starting by using musket powder first to cover their steak and then pat it dry with a paper towel, uh, press it into the meat with the paper towel. So actually press the musket powder seasoning into the steak with the paper towel. Add a little bit of olive oil and then seal that um, in a vacuum sealed bag. Once you've done that, you can put it into the water uh, with your sous vide and you put the temperature and set it to 131 degrees specifically. Um, You know, and if I'm backtracking a little bit, you could also add in, looks like they said some garlic and some rosemary into that vacuum sealed bag before you actually do seal that up just to get that flavor locked in. And then you let it cook. You can actually leave this thing on all damn day and it doesn't matter. I did some research on it. I've actually tried some in the past from a friend and it's a very weird concept. Um, but it works and it's really good. So it, it makes it feel like you're eating at a gourmet restaurant, rest, a gourmet restaurant. I was going to say recipe and then I tried to merge the words. All right. So uh, they recommend using ghee for the searing. So once it's cooked at that temperature and it's good to go, um, you simply take it out of that vacuum sealed bag. You got your iron cast, uh, cast iron skillet heated up with some ghee on there. Uh, you could also use uh, vegetable oil, um, other oils, depending on the, the burning point of those or what have you. Um, some are better than others. And, and some of you listening probably already know what you like best. But uh, this recipe calls for ghee. And then you sear that meat up. And that's it. That's the uh, vacuum uh, venison steak with the sous vide. So I don't know about you guys, but um, I definitely want to give it a try. And it turns out I just learned that our Instapot that we got for Christmas has a sous vide feature kind of built into it. So I'm going to have to give this one a try. I think it's going to go well, hopefully. And just so it doesn't go unsaid, by the way, everybody, submit your recipes to us. When you submit a recipe, you enter in for a chance to win musket powder. Not to mention, you're sharing a, a recipe with the rest of the community and the audience and me <laughs> and Greg. And uh, we want to we wanna learn how to cook our, our food and prep it better. And so our wives will like it more uh, in my case. But no, seriously, please share your recipes. You can send them to our Facebook page through the direct messenger, through an Instagram direct message. You can also send the recipes to 
our email address, which is where to hunt wi at gmail.com. And that's the number two, not the word two. So where to hunt wi at gmail.com. Uh, I know someone had sent a message and asked, and I don't know that I'd ever seen it come through. So, um, you know, please send your recipes there and we'll be happy to share it. And the more entries we get, the less likely you are to win. Um, but if it's just one entry, you're the winner of the musket putter seasoning. So if we get, you know, five, I'm going to draw from one of the five. That's how it's going to work. So anyways, let's get into our interview. Hey, so uh, on the line with us today, we have uh, one of the OGs of podcasting, um, Jay Scott from the Big Buck Registry. He's got the most beautiful voice in the world. He's got an awesome podcaster's voice. Uh, I bet it's probably one of the first deer hunting podcasts I listened to, mm-hmm. in fact. What's up, Jay? How you doing? It, I'm doing well. Is this the okayest podcast in the Midwest or what? <laughs> well, at yes. least in this area. Yes, it is. We got to set that bar real low, <laughs> just just in case we mess up. <laughs> I appreciate you having me on, guys. Yeah, man, we're we're excited. Um, we connected a couple years ago. We crossed paths. We were doing stuff with the Outdoor Podcast channel. Um, yep. And haven't crossed paths until again now in uh, 2020. So. You know, excited to have you on. You've been, you do a weekly show. You've been at it since 2005, 2012, somewhere in there. But we're going to kind of hear about a little bit about who you are and how you got into all that and what kind of legend where you're at today. Sure. Sounds good. What do you want to know first? Well, let's see. What's your favorite color? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I can start it off. So, red. Nice. Blood, Blood red. <laughs> uh, there you go. So you've been doing this for a while. Up to up to you doing this, I mean, is this a full time gig for you, or is this a, kind of a hobby along with hunting and outdoor stuff? So yeah, so like my full time gig that I've been doing for twenty some years, I'm actually a, a loan officer for a mortgage banker up here in the Northeast, and it's um, it's afforded me a, a schedule where I can kind of pay attention to my podcasting world and it, originally it was just a, a hobby to see kind of where it goes and, and what it would do and it, it it's blossomed into a business and it's not it's not my full-time gig sometimes it feels like I put enough hours into it to be a full-time <laughs> gig but it's really I'm really a loan officer by day and a podcaster by night is you know it's when I put on my my batman uh uniform and, and turn into the, the the podcaster cool i like that do you put a mask on too because no one can see you right if you're doing it i might i might try yeah, to do that next time right oh we, we do that we do some live shows like you guys like we're doing right now um yep. but uh usually sometimes it's by face and i'll have my co-hosts come in and We'll uh, and our guests will try to get them on like a a blue jeans type scenario where we can see everybody's face and kind of thing. But that's there's some other advancements in that realm uh, lately, so we'll probably explore some of that this year. Yeah, it's ever evolving, um, right? Ever ever evolving. It's always there's always something new, some new fancy software that you can tap into and and make it uh, better audio quality, better better video quality, do live stuff. So I love what you guys are doing with this live thing. That's great. Um, you don't don't see a lot of podcasters 
brave enough to go live. Uh, I like to edit. I've always liked to edit, but you know, there's so much stuff that can go wrong, and uh, you, know, you forget something, or the you ask the question wrong, you stumble. You know, that that's the real deal behind the scenes. But um, the uh, the live stuff is, I think, where a lot of people like to, you know, the people like the live stuff. So I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, it keeps it it keeps it authentic. Uh, I think, and it, it is a little bit different. Um, you know, I like to just roll with stuff. I, I can't tell you how many technical errors or word slip-ups or F-bombs gotten dropped. Or stabbing yourself sure. with a screwdriver. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I stabbed myself yeah. with a screwdriver one time. Um, <laughs> it definitely is interesting. How did you um, How did you start? Like, what was it like in the early, you know, like 2005? Like, I didn't even know what a podcast was when I started this. And I, you know, I just kind of jumped in head head first and I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Right. Uh, but here we are today. I, I'd love to hear your story because you were way ahead of me. So in 05, uh, it wasn't called podcasting, although I, I guess uh, podcasting had no roots somewhere around 2005. But what I was trying to do was to use my um, some kind of recording device to interview people in in marketing or business and and get into the the marketing world a little bit more maybe to help advance my my mortgage career that I'm in but also to explore another realm have some uh like a, a creativity part of of my life and so I bought some recording equipment I bought some uh, condenser mics, which are, if you know what the difference between the mics are, they're condenser and dynamic and podcasting. Dynamic, you have to speak right into it to get sound. And then there's condensing mics, which picks up uh, sound all the way around, which is fine if you're in a very tight, sealed room. But if you've got kids running around or you know, cat meowing in the background or, or any kind of background noise interruption, dynamic is the way to go. And, and so dynamic mics uh, versus the, the condenser mics, I had no idea what the two were. So I just bought something that looked good, and I bought the condenser mics. also bought this um, – it's a, it's a little white box, and I forgot exactly who made it, but you basically plug your mics in there, and it was supposed to go on your computer, but the computer wasn't really fast enough to read the, the recording, much like any software today will, will record directly into a computer, whether it's Audacity or whatever. But that's what that was supposed to do, and it was very complicated. It never really worked right. It could never get the sound really, you know, studio quality. And uh, basically threw in the towel back in 05. I was like, okay, none of this is going to work. Um, I'm, I'm done fighting with it. There will be another time when, when this will resurface. I'll try this again somewhere down the road. So it, it sat on the shelf, collected dust for seven years. And then uh, Facebook kind of came alive, like it was, it became a thing. And it was back in the day before Facebook is like it is today, where it was owned, it was a public, now it's a publicly owned company back then. It was private. It was the Wild West on Facebook. You could do pretty much anything. You could get anybody to look at your page. You could, you could uh, create real estate basically by doing these things share to share where you you uh, share one page on yours and they would do uh, likewise and you could run an ad for short money and i remember the ad i ran it was a 
um, I, let me back up just a little bit. I, I created the Facebook page first, and it was created after my friend Steve had shot a, a 240-pound buck in New Hampshire. Jeez. Wow. If you know, New, New Hampshire is where I live. It's where I've hunted my whole life. And Steve, uh, <laughs> it was such a wacky afternoon, but the way it, the way it all played out, Steve was on his way to Connecticut. He lived, uh, he lives in New Hampshire, just up the road from me. And he was, he, he jumped in his truck. It was muzzleloader season. He was on his way to, to Connecticut and he, he's driving down the road. He looks over on, onto the swampy area that's right next to the road with some uh, power lines that run across. And he sees this big, good looking buck, uh, a doe and a smaller spike standing there. 40, 50 yards off the road, um, and, and it was muzzleloader season, so that, that would have been early or late October, early November in New Hampshire. And uh, instead of going to Connecticut, he drove back to his house 15, 20 minutes, got his muzzleloader, drove, he wasn't on a hunt or anything, drove back <laughs> to the spot, walked into the woods, drops this 240-pound buck, and then calls me, as he has for years and years, Hey Jay, can you come help me drag out my deer? So uh, the 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 Facebook page had kind of launched at that point. That was 2012, um, and I wanted to make the podcast. So I would drag this buck out, weighing 240 pounds. And it's like you know, I really need to share this stuff because I got a friend who was my hunting partner in New Hampshire for a long time. He's moved to North Carolina. I hunted down there with him but he sends me pictures of all these bucks he's seeing. I don't see a lot of bucks in New Hampshire. Usually if you see it, that's the one you're going to gonna hunt and kill. Um, if um had another friend move to Montana, he sent, you know, he was there like five days. He sends me a picture of an antelope he kills and then a buck a week later. So I was like, we were sharing pictures back and forth. That then I was like, you know, this is exactly why Facebook was created to share pictures. So I, I started sharing my friend's pictures on a Facebook page that I just randomly created. Keep in mind, this is, this is 2012, and it got a lot of hits. And it started, and I had to name it something, so um, Big Buck Registry came to mind. Part of that is a, a source. It's a great name, by the way. Right, like, the, that's just a great it, name. It, it seemed like it had traction. It was uh, the registry. I was actually in a, uh, a registry of deeds. I was at the Registry of Deeds in my other world one afternoon. I'm like still pondering what I'm going to call this thing, and it came up registry. It has to be a registry of something. If people are going to share pictures, even though you might not be like actually putting it on, on a ledger or anything, I'm going to have a picture to share. Somebody's going to share a picture on this page. So that would be the registry part, and it will be Big Buck. It's pretty simple. Everybody can spell it. Big Buck Registry, that's what it's going to be. So it actually stems from the mortgage world and the real estate community with the registry part and brought it into my other world that I wanted to get into, which was the deer hunting world. So Big Buck Registry was created and started as a Facebook page. The Facebook page blew up pretty quickly. Uh, I think I ran a couple of small ads for pennies on the dollar using some of my own money. And it was it was really short money, but before long, and after, and as a goal of mine, I just want to have ten thousand followers on Facebook. That was like a that was like a, a level that you wanted to get to initially. And before I knew it, I was at ten, then I was at twenty, then I was at forty, and this was probably in the course of a few months. 
And what I what I had taken was I, there was a picture that a, a fellow somewhere I think it was in Missouri had sent in, and it was a great photo. It was a great backdrop, big buck, and all I wrote was, "Do you want to learn how to kill bucks like this?" And I sent it out to the Facebook community, and that drove that drove it up to a hundred thousand followers in oh, a few crap. years. And uh, then I and I and I I stopped doing advertising after the first year so and i didn't spend a whole lot of money but it, it built it up to 100 grand um in quite a short amount of time plus the share to share stuff plus content so there's a lot of organic stuff there was some paid stuff and I, then i stopped it all together and from there it grew organically to where it is today over the i think it was a couple of years later um i surpassed 200,000. i think it's somewhere around 270 now so Simply just driving, putting content out there, um, I knew I had something to work with. And then I, I thought back to that 05 experience. So like, no, now's the time to bring those old mics out. Well, hmm. did the research. Cliff, Cliff Ravenscraft from, um, they had a had a great podcast channel. And I, he was what working was with somebody again? else. I can't remember it. It was, I can, uh, I can Google it and, and figure it out. I forgot uh, exactly. Because I followed him too early on. Because he was the guy teaching people how to podcast. The po- podcast answer man. There you go. The podcast answer man. Oh my gosh, this is like yeah. nostalgic. Right. Sorry, so dear podcast hunter, we're geeking out on podcasting, but I know a lot yeah, of deer hunters are podcasting. Kind of geeky, and this isn't a really hunting thing. This is a podcast thing. So Cliff Ravenscraft, podcast answer man. And uh, there's a guy over at the Audacity podcast that was teaching some stuff too. But I, I watched a lot of his YouTube videos. I talked to him by by email, and you know they're always trying to get you to buy their course, go go spend yeah. the weekend and learn how to podcast. And I'm like I'm not going to really do that. There's so many things here for free on um, YouTube. I'll just do that. I might take a few pieces from his stuff and some couple other things from from his other things. But I basically had this. I had my iPhone. I had a jumble of wires. Who knows where they're plugged in? And I had a little device where I could plug in a, a, a f- microphone cord. And I had actually bought a, an Audio-Technica uh, microphone that was pretty cheap. And my whole goal was not to spend too much money to get this off the ground. Because I didn't know if it was, if it was going to take off. But I certainly didn't want to drain the bank. It was just a hobby. And I already you know, spent plenty of money on hunting. I didn't really want to have another expensive hobby so this is just gonna be a trial see what would happen and but i knew the facebook page took off i knew a lot of other hunters out there and it was cool to see what everybody else was hunting but how was i going to learn what how they were hunting them how was i going to learn how they're killing these big bucks all across the country and i realized that there's a whole bunch of knowledge out there that everybody or a lot of people were experiencing but nobody was collectively putting it in one spot where you could sh- you could learn a lot if you just arrived at this one place about deer hunting because I was trying to become a better deer hunter. I did become a pretty good turkey hunter, but I always felt like deer hunting was a little distant from me. Like I wasn't as good as I wanted to be. But if I could talk to these people across the country who were sending in these pictures, clearly they know something I didn't. And this podcast could not only help me become a better deer hunter, but if I could capture all that audio and put it into one collective, it could probably help a lot of other people too. And then that would just build on the Facebook page. And that's pretty much how it all got started. It just, it, 
lot of the early guests were simply from people who had sent in pictures on the Facebook page. And they were doing something, one of which is still with me today, Dusty Phillips, uh, one of my co-hosts, he sent in one of the first pictures ever. And I, and I talked to him a little bit uh, by by uh, messenger, and then I talked to him on the phone. I said, maybe I'll, he should be a guest. So I made him a guest, and he was a funny guy. He had a great, good storyteller. <laughs> you know, and, and that's kind of how it all blossomed. It just kept going. I kept finding more and more people, not only who – who had killed a, a good deer, but they wanted to share the story. And I think that was an important piece. Like they, they wanted to get off their chest and it's like going talking to anybody, you know, for years and years, I'd go hunt with my, my, um, my wife's uncles and they, they're, they're fun to hunt with, but they told great stories and I it mesmerized me. So it's like, you know what? The, a deer story is such a great thing to tell. And if I can, not only tell get the, these people to tell the deer story, but to get them to open up and and tell me about their life, how they kind of, I can do a good backstory, figure out how they developed, and help other people become better hunters too. The concept is fantastic, and you're talking about an era that I think I was on a similar wave. You poured some gas on that fire. I was probably a little too young and ignorant still, still in college full time, trying to figure out. I got all these people engaging with this content on Facebook. I cracked 10,000. I, I probably fell off after that at some point. But same, it was like same. It was Facebook. Wow, look at all these people that are interested in deer hunting that, you know, I can learn from. I should put a podcast out because I just heard about this podcast thing. And then a couple years later, I see this this guy sends me a message, asks me I want to go shoot, you know, a bow at a local archery shop. Turns out his name's Greg Tubbs, and now he's my co-host. Um our, our stories aren't too dissimilar at all. That's, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, the, the I, I name, think that's uh, good. I was just going to say the name registry. I like to hear that it came from the mortgage industry. I always interpreted it as like, you would always go register your deer. Um, we used to have right, registration right. stations. So that's where I, that's where I assimilated the word. There's, from. A, there's a lot of good stories registered at the registry. Mm-hmm. That is true, and and you know, and, and I, that was also like in the mix. I knew that go to a registration station. That was kind of part of it, and you know, mm-hmm. there's always great stories being told at the at the registration station. If you go yep. hanging out at the scales, you always hear these great stories. And um, I I would go to just just to hang out at the scales. You know, there's a little diner there. You'd have a little something to eat, grab a coffee, go down, see who's bringing in what, talk to them, find out what the stories were. Yeah, so yeah, there's there is some elements there. It wasn't wasn't all the registry, it just happened to be that's kind of when I decided it's probably that, but there were other connotations to it. There are other meanings certainly with the registration stations for sure. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool, it's really evolved. I mean, you're um you know, almost to episode three hundred. Do you have any plans for the three hundredth episode or maybe you can't talk about them? Um but I just realized you're pretty close to that mark. I wonder if you're going to do a milestone party or something. You know, I, I think it, there is something that'll special that'll happen. I don't have it quite ironed out yet, but I, I got thinking about it. Um, a, a couple months ago, I was like, you know, we're going to approach 300 and it's time to do something kind of special. Um, not exactly sure what it's going to look like yet. I've still got a little bit of time. We've, We've uh, trimmed it back to two a month instead of weekly. The weekly thing was 
just a little overwhelming when my as my kids got older and I needed to be more places and do more things with them, uh, coach baseball and all that stuff. There wasn't as much time, so but we're still putting out two a month, and the um, I'm not exactly sure what it's going to look like, but it will involve my co-host. It'll probably involve a few of my previous guests uh, sure. that we really think a lot of and um, hopefully make it something special. I'm not, I'm going to look to see what other people have done at 300, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a big deal. That's cool. Um, hopefully you don't lose your voice like I did at my 100th. <laughs> you were sicker than a dog though. Whatever you had caught was not, not Did pretty. you get it then too? I did. I got it like a week later. Yeah, you were pretty mad at me for that. <clears throat> yeah, well, I one... missed it though too. I also missed the next. Yeah, that's right. You did. Yeah, I brought in a different co. You brought in Anthony, a temporary one. Anthony, <laughs> the Greg replacement I... for a minute. I haven't lost my voice on a show yet, although there was one okay, where I I was I was getting sick as a dog, um, and I had this guy named Adam Evans. He's the podcast. Uh, no, not the podcast. Not the podcast answer man. He's the He's a weatherman. He's uh, basically a New England, right? He's um, he, he was this, he's this great guy, and he's developed this character that is hardcore, back not backwards, but hardcore um, traditional New Hampshire, uh, New England, where he talks with a good New Hampshire accent, and he's called the hillbilly weatherman. <laughs> and he, he did it as a as kind of a, a gag with his his son. His son started laughing every time he got into this gig. But I mean, he doesn't hold back. He swears. Um, I don't know if you can swear on this show, but uh, sure can. Let a rip. Yeah. He, he, basically, he'd say he'd get up on and say, "Well, we got a shitload of weather coming in here, and uh, <laughs> you guys better get your Subarus off the road now and let the big trucks <laughs> come through." So that, and that was kind of the premise of how he did it, but he does such a great character that it's it's endless. He's not really that guy in real life, but I had him on the show um, because it turns out he's a deer hunter. You know, he wasn't just this this goofy guy on on Facebook who was just knocking it dead on on uh, with with likes and and views, but he ended up uh, coming into my my studio in my house, and because he only lived. In, Turned out he was from New Hampshire and not too far away. He came in and we talked about deer hunting and the hillbilly weatherman, how he developed all that stuff. But I had, I couldn't hear out of my right ear. Okay. And uh, I had I had gone through like this flu kind of thing. And I was be- kind of better. My voice was still there. But the next day I got vertigo. I couldn't walk down the, the hallway oh, without bumping geez. into the wall, falling down. It was awful. It turns out I had an ear infection the whole time he was here. And, I, I can remember that it got just the headphones on the head was was making my head and or my ears really warm. Like that's just really weird, but it's like burning up. Well, it turns out I was uh, kind of second stage sickness there after the the cold had gone away, and then I got into some infection stuff. So that was that was the worst um, that it's ever been. But it it's still I still got the show out, and you still get the, the show out, right? <laughs> Craig, I'm like, the show must go on always. Oh it must go on. That's how I felt. It's uh, right. it means you're the real deal. You know, you, you can't mess around. Look, I got an audience that we got to record for. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, it's always funny. I always assume that no one listens. Obviously, the numbers you know don't reflect zero. 
but I just treat it that way. And I'm always humbled by any single person that says something about the show at any point in time. And I feel like if I miss one, someone's going to be like, hey, where's my Wednesday morning commute? You know, I mean, tomorrow's Wednesday, right? Today's Tuesday. Yeah. Yes. On Tuesday. Yeah, it is funny. You don't hear a lot. Usually it's only when you stop or don't do something that they really jump on you. So yeah, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. When I was doing this, yeah, I wait, needed to hear got... that. Come on. Right. Yep. Like one of the things uh, we'll, we'll post on uh, Facebook, one, there are a few things that have developed over the years that have kind of become part of the Big Buck Registry. One is is that we do a, during deer season, we'll do a weekly deer movement prediction. And it's based on, it's Soul Lunar, it's based off the moon. You can get it pretty much anywhere. It's It's free, it's online but we posted an image and people go crazy over this image. And the minute that we don't do it, that one week we don't do it on Saturday at noon, people go mental. They will call in, they will email us. They'll say, can I, and they want it special for them. So they'll ask for it on their, their, uh, through messenger or emails. And, but it's just one image that you can get on online for free. It's just funny. Everybody wants that one consolidated spot. Now, does it help their hunt? Yeah, you know the verdict's out on that. I don't know, but yeah, who they knows? certainly it's look forward to it. Right, stand on the scale. Yep. So that's, that's kind of funny. funny. Yeah. The other thing that we've done, and this was completely inadvertent, it was we have this program called the Harness Program, and you guys buy tree stands, obviously, right? And every tree yeah. stand that you buy comes with those harnesses packed in a nice plastic pouch. And it gets thrown in the corner, and you never look at it again because you bought either a nice one or you don't use one or whatever. And I, I was like, ah, I'll throw them up on Facebook, see if anybody wants one, because I had three in the garage. And uh, sure enough, instantly everybody wanted it, so I mailed them out. And then I said, well, maybe there's a lot of people out there who don't have one for some reason. They're hunting out of these other stands or old stands, and that before TMA launched the requirement to have these as part of a safety code, as part of every tree stand, or maybe it's some some financial situation, whatever the case may be, it's probably a good idea to form a program generated through the podcast where we do a, a, a harness exchange. So those that buy new stands that have these things can either get them to us or just hold them until we identify somebody that emails us a request for a harness. And we get people that are are younger or, or a parent who wants to take a kid hunting or um, I, uh, I'm i kind of down on my luck right now. I really can't afford one. I just got a free tree stand for my buddy, but I don't have a harness. I don't want to fall out of the tree. Or if I do, I'd like to have something. What can you do? So between a, co- a combination of people donating, people requesting them, or some people just sending in a couple bucks to cover shipping, We've created this harness program, and it kind of keeps on going. It, it It's never really died. So it's we build up inventory, then it disappears. We have to change our message on the podcast, say, hey, we're out of harnesses. Let's um, let's go and get, let's raise some more and find some people that can bring some in. That's a, So I heard that being talked about on one of your recent episodes. Is that something that you're still actively doing now? I, it sounded like maybe yes. – um, Sounded like you ran out and you were looking That's for donations. Okay. Yeah, we have I'm run out of harnesses at the moment. Yep. 
And that, that's it's all so it is. popular it's so that you've really run out of them. I think I have some. I was just it's pointing so, to Greg. I think right. I have some on the floor. Yeah. See, there's everybody has them. And turns out there are a lot of people that need them. I've still got a back order of requests that have not been fulfilled yet. So I, I think this year we're going to try to push more uh, donors than recipients because the recipients seem to show up no matter what. But the donors kind of peter out. Like we tend not to have as many donors as we need. So yeah, if uh, you guys could get the word out and we can, you know, save save a hunter from falling uh, somewhere, who knows when. But if we save one, then that's that's plenty. Well, and two, if you don't have guys out there buying as many tree stands, you know, I mean, I've I'm hunting out of the same old lone wolf tree stand I've had for the past twelve years, and I'm pretty sure I gave that harness away to my godson or something. But you know, if you got guys that are just hunting out of quality gear to begin with and they don't go and replace it all the time or they don't add to their collection it's pretty hard to get you know get used harnesses i guess and then two because of the number of decline that we've we're seeing in in hunter population that could be part of your problem as well it could be it could be i, I think um it seems like people are still buying enough tree stands and they're they're more if you have a tree stand chances are if you buy more than one tree stand you probably have one harness you're going to use but mm -hmm. you're going to keep buying tree stands if you're buying ladder stands anyway or, or you know, lock-ons right. or whatever they usually come with this extra harness and it gets either thrown away or nobody's using them but there are plenty of people that need them and, and want them so we just got to figure out a way to systematically get them over to them Cool. We'll uh, we'll help pump that out. Um, do you think all the folks that are grabbing those up are using them for deer hunting, or do you think there's some other applications? Has anyone communicated back to you that well, I need it for something unrelated? Like I don't know, are there linemen that are using this? Or I'm trying to think of other use cases. So or far, like that. I I don't know how many we sent out, but it's been well over probably a couple hundred anyway. They've always hundred percent been interested because of deer hunting. Yeah, that's really that's really something you've definitely kind of uh, uncovered something with that. I know, right? That's it was accidental, mean. completely accidental. Yeah. Like, ah, I don't, I don't want these things. They're going to the dump, or <laughs> ah, who knows? I've got a, I've got this Facebook page. Let's put it to use. Let's put it to good use and see if there's a hunter that is in need and doesn't have the money to spend it or to spend on a brand new one. See what they see if they could use this. And sure enough, and then just it just it's continued for I don't know two or three years now. That is really interesting. Oh, that's a nice thing to do. That's really cool. I think yeah. so. I I don't know if that's what I have down there. It might be. Um, what's the cost average? You know, to to ship to you. I mean, obviously, it depends on where it's coming from. But what do you think, people? Like, if I was going to ship that to you, what am I going to pay from Wisconsin? Maybe like a couple bucks. Usually, if you get the regional A box, which you sometimes have to order yeah. or can ask for at the post office. Or if you know they'll fit in a, one of those plastic sleeves, it's typically running between seven and eleven dollars from anywhere in the country to ship, and hmm. it can coast to coast. But typically, it's in the in the bag seven or eight bucks. So that's it, well, I, you know, I, it. Does take out? A, go ahead. I'm the best person to interrupt anybody. Um, yeah, you're good at I it. I usually have to give that disclaimer. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, like, <laughs> you know. If the if the blocker is you aren't having enough 
or if the if the symptom is you're not having enough people to donate, um, then there's plenty of people that want to receive them, and there still is a surplus of these things. And the blocker might be that, you know, the time perception of I got to put this thing and ship it and take it to post office and I got to pay or whatever that might be. I almost wonder if you got like, you know, a stand company or some of that, you know. Um, concerned with safety or the hunter safety uh there's like a hunter safety association association um maybe you get like you know someone to sponsor just that program to cover just the cost of the shipping for the people sending those things in to you know make sure you get that surplus i, I wonder if someone would get behind that for you and help because it's such a good cause yeah um and if it's aligned it could, with their yeah. mission statement that could that could help the the population at large definitely i, I think that's something we could pursue and look at and it really hasn't it's been an equal balance for quite a while it wasn't until this last year that we saw an imbalance of we finally ran out and Mm -hmm. we had lots of donors but for a long time we've been running the message that we're we're fortified we have plenty to give out well it wasn't until a few months ago that the message has has changed where it's compounded people are telling everyone about it now yeah I gotta go find some more donors, and you know it does add up. You know you don't want to be sending out a uh, hundred dollars worth of, of gear if you do, if you don't have to. Um, so yeah, we're trying to. I think if you spread it out, everybody's willing to send one or two. But I don't know if you want to you know spend Christmas on uh, sending out harnesses to somebody that doesn't have one. It, yeah, d- despite it being an excellent cause, you know. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I finally got a fancy harness this season. I got it last year. Right. I started using it this season. Maybe it was last season. I think it was this season. It was a gift. Yeah, it's a weird thing to spend money on. It's like they're not cheap, the nicer ones. It's not fun money. It's not like a shiny new bow. But you kind of want to get one of those. Yeah, you, you want to be able to make it home to your, your family, though. <laughs> well, that's the... Yeah. yeah. If you do have a, you know, if your Widowmaker tree stand gives way. <laughs> yeah, the that's Widowmaker. It. I call it Cadillac, but... Yeah. For years, I I never even used a harness, you know. And then I started. No, uh, not at all. Have it, then I had had kids, and I'm like, I got to be a lot safer here. Um, so I started using a harness, and um, do, then I I even stopped climbing for the for quite a while while I had kids, and I didn't start climbing again until there was um there was a the a, a new company that came out with a product a few years ago where you you attach it to your your upper strap and if you dropped or anything gave way it would slowly lower you to the ground they were a sponsor of ours for a little bit and then i started climbing everywhere again it was fantastic i was hunting everywhere in a tree mobile units uh climbers wherever it didn't matter so i my my love for being in a tree uh, was resurrected. I never really disliked. It. I just felt like the safety big added risk. Big added risk. So, but that's that's been drastically reduced. You know, there's a, there's a lot of good safety equipment out there now that can help you climb trees. My dad was a was a lineman for the phone company growing up, so he, I used to watch him climb trees with his uh, metal spikes on this thing and a, li- a lineman's belt. And I was like, man, I want to do that someday. That looks awesome. Because he would fly up and down a, a telephone pole like it was nobody's business, like the loggers do on TV. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's, you know, I always was fascinated by it and then started getting into the equipment. I, I realized why he liked doing it. It was kind of fun climbing a tree with a, <laughs> uh, 
you know, a rope and a, a belt and a, the right harnesses, and it's, it's a blast. That's cool. I learned how to do like uh, the the bling, like where you run down the side of a building. That was pretty neat to do. Um, <laughs> I used to be quite a thrill seeker, and now now with two little ones, I'm the same. Like I'm pretty clumsy. Also, is the okay center? I can't tell you the number of times I like you're holding on to something with your teeth. You got one hand, you got a leg wrapped around. You're kind of like you know straddling the tree. I mean, there's so many awkward positions you find yourself, and you drop something. You're like, gosh, I catch it. No, if I let go, I'm falling. You know, it's just. I wonder how many of us have all, have all been there. The safety stuff with the trees, that's the number one injury, falling out of a tree. Right. Absolutely. That's the biggest, that's the biggest one, right? That's, um, that's the one where that hurts people the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The most and the, and the most, like the most common and it's right. like usually the most fatal. Um, well, right. Because it's more common, I think. And that was but, always the that was the fears. Like I, I knew that stat. Now you know. Now I'm aware. Uh, very well, very yeah, so aware of what the stat is. So now I got to address it. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, it didn't matter. I was wild and would do all that stuff. But these days, and uh, once the kids came along, everything changed. One of the one of the folks watching, uh, Jose, just commented and said, "I've come close, but never I've never fallen." There's been some, I, you know, my wife won't listen this far in, so I'm safe to say, unless she pops in randomly while I'm live here, but um, there's been close calls, more when I was younger, too, and I thought I could conquer the world and it didn't matter, I'm going to need that stuff, you know, whatever, yep. you know, a.k.a. I, the I biggest good, idiot in the world. My very close friend, still to this day, good hunting buddies, the guy that moved to North Carolina years ago, and now we, we uh, hunt in Maryland together quite often, he fell out of a tree stand in North Carolina and we we uh, chronologued the whole situation on an interview I did with him and it was, he was a great interview but we, he tells the entire story of what happened and how quickly things changed and his experience of falling from the tree and trying to get emergency management in there to extract him from a very remote area in North Carolina it didn't go so well and uh, fortunately it wasn't a, a fatal situation, but his leg uh, was completely demolished. So they had to rebuild completely. But it was, oh, it was, it's a nightmare. He fell from a long way up, and it took a long time for the his buddy that he was hunting with even to get to him because he couldn't. There was he was hunting in an area where he couldn't get the cell coverage. He had to climb up on other tree stands just to get the coverage to call him where he was and then finally locate his spot to the point where he could call in emergency uh, people to come in through a gate and then had to get him down to the spot where the actual stand was. So there was a lot of time that passed before he was actually able to leave in an ambulance, um, but it all could have been prevented with the right equipment. Gosh. Well, folks, if you're listening to this at this point, um, We've gotten on this tree safety topic, which I don't mind at all. It's not talked about enough, I don't think. I haven't heard a lot of folks talking about it. It's ebb and flow. It comes and goes, but it's always something. I mean, it it's the first thing that goes on me, you know, after I get all my hunting clothes on, mm-hmm. it's on. Mm-hmm. So the whole harness and, uh, you know, I hit the tree you know, I don't always use my lineman's belt. If it's a short and real limmy tree, it's pretty hard to use a lineman's belt. 
but if it's a nice straight tree where I can use my lineman's belt to lean back and set a stick, yeah, you better believe I'm using it, you know. Um, yep. But it's important, you know, and especially a lot of places I hunt, I'm over a mile from the truck, and if I'm the only one out there, and most of the time I am, um, I fall without that thing on, uh, it's going to be probably the end, and you're right. going to have a hard time finding me. Unless you're using that weird app that we know about. Right. Or, <laughs> you know, into a lot of the areas, the cell phone coverage sucks. Yeah. No, so, that's the big one. Like and that just kills said. a battery. Yep. does. Right. Old right. cell coverage, it just drains it. It's Crazy. gone to the point where where I'll create a map and take an image and send, or send my location to my wife. She'll know where I'm I at. I do that, too. I don't. Yep. Yeah. I and I say, do not share this with anybody because I don't want everybody <laughs> to know where I'm at. I just want you to know where I'm at in the case of yep. emergency. And if I'll, I'm, when I get up in the tree, I'll text you. When I get down out of the tree, I'll text you. And I'll let you know I'm on my way back to the truck. Yep. The exact same rules apply. And if my wife doesn't hear from back from me you know, a little while after I've texted her from hitting the ground, getting out of the tree, then my phone's ringing in my pocket as I'm walking back right. to the truck. Oh crap! I forgot to text her. Well, yeah, she just she's concerned. She knows the areas I hunt, and they're not easy to get into. So, right, yeah, yep. Well, that's Something stuff. that's often well, overlooked, but very very important. But it helps you become self reliant too. You know, it keeps you accountable for yourself. Well, speaking of hard to get to exactly. places and and all that stuff, um, you know, this might be a good time to pivot into the most memorable hunt. Jay, I know I asked you before we started recording to think of one and not share with us, but if you have a memorable hunt, we'd love to hear the story. Sure. Uh, I would say the, the most memorable uh, was this year's past season, actually. And it is a story that goes back, let's say, three years, uh, maybe even four years. I had, uh, you know, we all get on Google Maps, and uh, not all of us, but Google Maps has become a great asset for scouting, where you can set in your computer and start to look at areas that deer should be, and then it's uh, a ground, you know, a scout from there to see um, if it is in fact what you thought it should be, and then there's, uh, you know, measuring to see if there's actually a buck in the area. So in in New Hampshire, it's it's pretty much all public land hunting. You you're allowed to hunt anywhere in New Hampshire as long as it's not posted, which is the opposite in a lot of states. It goes back to the colonial days. It's a very New England thing where um, it's great for turkey hunting. Now we have a great turkey population that you can basically go, go hunt the land even if you don't own it. Uh, it doesn't matter. That sounds as long awesome. As they say, yeah, it it, it is quite an advantage understand that the the wildlife in new hampshire may not be what it is in other states but we have that advantage for sure there's no question so you, know, you jump on your favorite mapping program and you're gone you can be gone all day long and there's you're not violating anything simply by crossing somebody's property line it's you're free to roam um you're obviously it's good if there's like farmland or agriculture but we're 85 percent timber so you're going to be mostly in timber no matter where you are most people aren't going to know where you are most people don't even know that some of these places exist and there's the, the you can tell where most of the pressure is anyway but there are a lot of spots where hunters don't go it's hard to get to it's 
too too far up a, a mountainside or whatever. So this particular area I had identified on Google Maps before the use of what I started using Onyx as a potential spot. And what I was looking at, and, and a lot of this is kind of thanks to Dan Infault um, in the interview we did with him years ago was go on Google, look down onto the maps, zoom in on some of the swamps, and you'll see the old, old deer tracks, the old deer paths going through the swamps. And if there's a lot of them, go check it out. If there's not, well, probably not a good deer spot. Well, this one one area, I went, um, looked on Google, drove up there one day when I dropped my son off at a, a fall basketball practice, and I just did a little quick scout, and it seemed like it might be a good spot. Then I shelved it for three years. And this year, I was like, you know, I'm going to go back to that spot. I've always thought it was a good spot. I've hunted in areas around there, and those have always produced some good deer, but this year the deer aren't there. So where did they go? Well, that, this location that I identified three years ago might actually be where they go. It's uh, to describe it. There are roads that are all dirt, right? Classic dirt road that go up into the hills of New Hampshire. And hills is not like a giant mountain, but certainly hilly enough. Um, and those then those dirt roads branch off into four-wheeler trails or snowmobile trails that are used by snowmobilers in the wintertime. And it gets pretty remote I mean, to the point where you can get there by snowmobile, but try to walk there when the snow's not there. Um, it's going to take you a while. And it's going to be straight uphill in certain spots. It's going to be rugged terrain. And even a four-wheeler could probably get there, but then to get to the hunting spots, you get to break off of those four-wheeler trails. So it gets pretty rugged. So on one side, there's a road that rides up onto this mountain. It goes up one side, comes down the other. It's all dirt. There's a side road that goes off of that, that goes up another peak, and that is essentially a snowmobile four-wheeler trail. And then off of there are two swamps on both sides at a gated area. And it was the, the it was the swamp to the south that had interested me the most on the map. And one afternoon, um, preseason, uh, I think it was somewhere in October. Still bow season, but I'm always scouting, so it's not like I ever stopped scouting. Um, took an afternoon, figured nobody would be out there, and and ground scouted it, and walked down through. The, this area and got down to a big swamp, lots of, lots of sign going down in. It was very congested, very thick growth. You know, it's a great bedding area where these deer probably are. Got as far away from that gate as I, I could potentially get to the point where I was guessing that probably people wouldn't walk here. And it, it had some snow and there wasn't a single boot track down where I had been but there were deer tracks. There are a lot of deer tracks. There was good buck sign. The minute I got to the backside of the swampy area, there was, there was uh, trees rubbed. There were scrapes on both sides. It was very narrow and overgrown. It was almost like you're looking down a tunnel because it was so overgrown. Hmm. But it, it ended up on the backside of this peak. So I'm going in from the north, going south. And to the to the backside, you can see that where it kind of fell off. To the 
to the east, it was a sharp rise up the hill, and I'm on the top flat. And deer in New Hampshire always if, tend to go to the top third of the hills and love those little flat areas on the top. And I'm sure that's where that's common in a lot of other places, but you're going to have mountainous terrain, and you gotta you kind of need that that timber. That's good. perfect formula for New Hampshire. So I just ground scouted for an hour and a half, got out of there, decided that this is going to be a spot I'm going back to. Well, I drove up there one afternoon during gun season, and there was a guy there. Um, but he was coming out from the north over this other swamp, which is not what I, what I, not what I wanted to see. But as he's walking out of the swamp, he pushed these two giant bull moose towards me, walked right in front of me, got it on video, and they guess where those moose the moose went they went exactly to the direction where i thought most game would go when when pressured and this is exactly as i'm sitting there watching it develop a guy is pressuring these these animals and the the moose go exactly where i thought the deer would go so fast forward uh, a week or so um it's the monday before thanksgiving and as life goes i have kids responsibilities the wife has the day off for whatever reason that day i said hey um would you mind picking up the kids from school today because I'd, I'd like to go for a hunt if i could and she said sure i said great packed up all my gear but instead of going in from the north i decided to go in from the south it really rained heavily the day before and I had to go in from another dirt road from a whole different side of this this mountain, basically. And the I have my Jeep. I use I drive a standard Jeep, and the roads had been completely flooded up through. So that there was a stream, big thick streams running through this all these roads, trying to get into the spot. Well, I finally got there, and I still had to cross another stream that was completely swollen before I even started going uphill. So. I got across the streams, and it was it's this big ledgy area. If you've ever been to New Hampshire, you'll understand. But basically, it's a it's a pretty sharp slope down, covered in these giant boulders that are all glacial. You know, they're just pushed pushed all around. And what I did was instead of going straight to the spot, I sloped south and gradually went up the back side of the hill, and then. Going, what I was attempting to do was to get to the spot where I thought they were bedded, but get to a point where I could see a good visual because there had been some timber cut up in there in the last couple of years. And I took my time, nice and slow, went in probably 1.30. I took my time, slow, methodical, quiet, staying completely downwind. And that's why I went in that direction mostly is because I knew the wind direction going in there that day. I wanted to stay downwind completely of any potential wind coming or going to their bedding areas. So I just stayed down, downwind completely. And then when I got to the point of the backside of the ridge, I was at the high point, the highest point you could get in that one area. And then I, I slowly made my way down slightly through the shadows, staying under the branch covers, and I decided not to get up in a, a tree stand. Because I was I was able to sit on the ground in the shadows with a good decent amount of surrounding, but I could see, and this is unusual, you could see about 300 yards 
due north from where those moose came, and to the left it was basically the, the end of the tunnel where all the bedding area was. So I was at the end of the tunnel, but you, you knew that they were going in and out of that tunnel area that I had scouted a few weeks earlier, and I could see probably 300 yards to the north. It was about 4.30. Um, sunlight was was starting to dim a little bit. Sun was going down. It was getting colder. It was getting down in the 30s. Um, not that that's cold, but it was, you know, in the mid-30s. It was starting to drop. And I have my 30 6 I'm wearing my uh, – this is a plug for our sponsor, but I, I did have on my minus 33 Merino base layer, which is wool, which is a great, great way to, to stay warm and dry. And I've never really used wool until this year, but it's a, it's a game changer. Yeah, I can I'm agree with up, you there. Right? Love wool. Wool is one of the best insulators of all time, and it, it has this antimicrobial uh, capacity or um, abilities where it doesn't smell. I don't know if you've ever smelled your wool coat. It doesn't smell. It's, it's just well, a even natural the, property of wool. Yeah, merino wool. I got merino yep. wool, wool uh, undergarments as well. All my my layered system is is merino, and it doesn't yep. hold an odor. I mean, even if you wear it, I I've got a couple of garments I've worn for a couple of days. I notice that I smell a little ripe, but the garments honestly don't hold that stink. It's pretty neat stuff. I, it's phenomenal stuff. So I I think that helps yep. a little bit. Um, but I was also wearing light enough gear, so because I was walking, you know, I wasn't I wasn't walking real fast, but I was walking. And as I was coming out the backside, found a lot of uh, bucks on the backside. But I was heading towards where I thought they were bedded. And when I got to the break, what I mean by break is, I got to the point where there was a change in cover. I'm, I'm at the edge of the cover point. I didn't want to go into the area where it gets open. I stayed back in the cover. And from I figured that just on the other side of that open area, that's where the deer most likely would be bedded based off of the information that I had gathered during my scouting run for an hour the week before, or two weeks before. I sit down, and I, I'm a little quiet, start with a little bleat. I do a sequence, uh, short, quick bleats with my, uh, my bleat call followed by a couple of short grunts. Do that sequence a couple times. Completely downwind of, of the bedding area. And then I see a doe pop up. She's about 40 yards out. It's like they just magically appeared. Everything I had read was right. They, they were bedded there. And I don't have any game cameras I'm using there. I'm not, I'm not, all I have is sign. I'm working off a sign and, and the windage that day and a bet that the deer would be moving in that area because they've probably been pressured a lot in other areas and they've ended up there. And this doe pops up 40 yards out directly in front of me. I can see her. She can, she's looking right at me, but I'm well covered. The, the scent's blowing away from me, away from her. So she's, she's not winding me. And she looks happy as can be. She's nibbling, browsing, but she's acting like she's not alone. You ever see a deer act like they're not alone? 
Yeah, they'll look they'll look back or right. you know the right. Yeah, you know the manual. They look they look they look back, but they feel relaxed. They look like they're nothing to worry about because I've got somebody else here with me that's kind of watching too. But they feel like they're isolated. A deer that feels isolated is relaxed, and they're just kind of bopping around doing their playful thing. A deer, and you know, when they think that there could be harm, they're stopping, they're freezing, they're looking, they're 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 looking hard. Nothing like that. Completely relaxed. I'm like, this is good sign. But reading her body language told me that there was another deer in the area, and knowing the time of year, it could very easily be a buck. So I'm 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 just looking. I'm looking both sides, and I'm not. She's in a, a semi-clearing area, not a clearing, but a clear previous clear cut that was only like probably 40 yards wide, 300 yards long, and she's right 40 yards from me. And then to my left, I see a little movement. Like, that's got to be another deer. And three minutes go by. I don't do any more calling. The buck stands, or this deer, I didn't know what it was at the time. Deer stands up, takes two steps. Now I see antler. Not a little antler. It looks like a mature New Hampshire buck based off of the, the width of what I could see. And it's still pretty good in the thick stuff. Then it takes two more steps. Now I've got a full view of this buck. I can see antler, lots of it. I can, And then it grunts. It grunts at the doe one time. The, the buck is probably 45 yards out. I've got my 30-06. I pull up. I, he's looking right at me in the scope. I draw down the neck a little bit, take a shot, and he drops in his tracks. He's dead before he hits the ground. The doe runs off, and I walk up. And definitely one of the the most, in that area, was probably the dominant buck on that mountainside for at least a year or so. You know, he's that, he's... Not a monster by like Ohio standards, but a good, solid, mature New Hampshire buck by New Hampshire standards. Very and cool. uh, I started getting great the, feeling. Yeah, man. it was great, great feeling. Started uh, taking a few, took a few pictures, sent it to my buddies. Started getting the deer out, and I was still downwind where that doe ran. The doe came back and started watching me. <laughs> got her, got her oh. boyfriend out. So. <laughs> So that, it was yeah, just a great hunt, yeah. you know. Crazy. Yeah, well, and it's yeah. nice when everything comes together too. You you yep. did some scouting, you know. You took some of the stuff that you'd learned in the past, and you'd scouted this area. And I've got a few areas like that too, where it's like, hey, I should probably go back there and hunt it. And you know, yep. like you said, you got a few other areas in mind. You well, I'm gonna go hunt these areas instead. And right. you know, and you go back a few years later, and look, the sign's still there. It's uh, you know, the deer know it well, and time to throw a sit at it and you, yep. you picked the right time and uh, the conditions were perfect. You approached it properly yep. and um, everything went well. Yeah. They read That's the, it. they read the script as they would say. Yeah. Yep. It was, it was just like a textbook. You read the sign, you plan the hunt, you approach it correctly based off the wind direction and the time of year and the time of day and don't go too far, but don't go not far enough. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a whole right. formula there. Um, and we're talking the difference between 40 yards. If I went 40 yards more, if I even took 10 yards into that clear, 
those deer were close enough they probably would have seen me. But yeah, you'd I have had them. to approach. I would have bumped them. But I, I guessed right based off the signs that I'd seen two weeks earlier that you got to be careful going in there. You can't come in from the north where everybody does because that's where the parking area is, you know, a mile and a half up the road or a mile and a half up through the, the swamp. That's where park people could park. That's where everybody's coming in from. I got to be smarter. I got to go in from the backside. I got to go in from the downwind side. I got to stay out of that that bedding area. And if I do, most likely, if there are deer that day, they'll pop up in that evening, getting ready to go do their evening activities. For sure, and that's, that's how cool, it works. And works. How gratifying yeah, for awesome. you to to like kind of you know get that affirmation that this is the right way to do it, and it worked. How many times do we right. do that stuff and it doesn't work? You're like, what am I doing wrong? Exactly. You know, I did yeah, all the exactly. stuff for the beer, you know, and that's right. me anyway. How many times like, have you hey, gone in uh, uh, upwind? How many times have you gone busting through the, the bedding area? How many times have you not gone at the right time of day? How many times have you gone in where everybody else has gone in from? It's happened yep. a lot. So yep. not only are you hunting the deer, but you're kind of – hunting the hunter as well to make sure that you're you're going to areas where they go when they're pressured and making sure you don't go in the from the directions that the other hunters normally would if they were to do so so it's not just the deer it's also finding where the hunters go to yep yeah it's cool well thanks so much for sharing that with us um you know we'll wrap up our live feed here why don't we um, just wrap up with letting folks know where they can find you for those that don't know, which I think it's a very few, but, um, you know, share where they can listen, where they can learn, how they get in touch, all that good stuff. Sure. Yeah. Uh, if you just uh, go into iTunes, for example, type in Big Buck Registry or on Stitcher, uh, we're on YouTube, which is odd to me that people are listening on YouTube, but they are. Um, so we're on YouTube, Big Buck Registry. Facebook, Big Buck Registry. Um, you can go to the bigbuckregistry.com. That's our blog. Um, so basically, if you type in Big Buck Registry, you'll find the vast majority of our stuff in various locations. Nice. Cool. Nice and simple, just like you said. You're rocking it out. Right. Episode 300 is on the horizon, so we'll stay tuned for that. Um, thanks so much for being our guest tonight, Jay. appreciate it. Right. Yeah, we appreciate I it. I appreciate it as well, guys. I love what you guys are doing, so keep up the good work. Thank yeah, you. No callers tonight, but you know what? It's January 28th, so I think yeah. it's just a symptom of, uh, you know, people are checked out right now, which is all right. Yeah, a few more days. Our our uh, archery deer season down here in the southern end of Wisconsin is closing, so everybody's just kind of in ice fishing mode or, or scouting mode, yep. which I'll be in here soon. Yep. Yeah, I'm in coyote mode. I'm in scouting mode for next season and a little ice fishing myself. Tip of the week. Boom. You made it this far. You're a diehard. You're a number one fan. Thank you. So tip of the week, we're going to do something a little bit different, and uh, we're going to keep doing it a little bit different for the foreseeable future. We've partnered up with DeerVane.com. So that's D-E-E-R-V-A-N-E.com, run by Anthony Heller, who I had done some hunting with this last season. He had subbed in for Greg Tubbs as a co-host one episode, and he's also been a guest in the past. Uh, Real good guy, super knowledgeable. He's got his own podcast, 
Uh, it's the Deer Vane Podcast, and I think he's got somewhere around 18 or 20 episodes out. But um, he's done a really good job of providing high-value, practical content in a quick-hit kind of format. And uh, if you haven't seen him on Instagram or YouTube, he's got the quick clips on, on Instagram and then the long-form content on YouTube and then uh, a little bit of both kind of going on on the uh, podcast landscape. So uh, I wanted to bring more value to you, the listeners, and I also wanted to introduce everybody to Deervane. So that being said, let's hear what Anthony's got to say for the tip of the week this week. So this week's tip of the week is to get your scouting done right now in the next couple months. Scouting in the winter can be very, very informative. You have, you'll, it's easy to find trails, easy to find beds, easy to find rubs, easy to find scrapes. You can tell the age of the track because there's always snow on the ground and you don't need to worry about spooking deer. So you can go into those bedding areas, you can go into those areas you've always stayed out of and really check on them and see what's going on in there, gather that information, figure out where you're going to sit in the fall, kind of pre-plan your your early season, mid-season, you know, rut and late season hunting strategies right now because you can get in there, you can figure it out, you pick your trees, you can do your trimming right now, and then in August when you're deploying your cameras and just refreshing everything, you go in there, you trim out the rest of your branches that you need that's grown up and you're ready to go. You don't need to put a lot of time in in August and spook deer, leave your scent out there. So getting everything done now can really help you be more successful in the fall. And like I said, you might be able to find a shed or two. Hope it helps, guys. Look at that. A real practical tip. No more philosophical garbage. Although I still might add my philosophical garbage. Tip of the week this week for me, philosophically speaking, is... uh, you know, try things out, experiment. And I, I, I say this in the sense of life, but deer hunting too in business or whatever. Uh, listen to what Jay had said. He tried to do a podcast in 2005 and it just wasn't happening. The tech wasn't there yet. It was too difficult. But he tried it out, um, put himself out there. And then a few years later, he tried again and look where he got. Um, you know, and, and same thing here. We're trying new stuff every day. We're, we're blazing new trails. So don't be afraid to mix it up. If you haven't scouted in spring, go try that out. If you haven't shed hunted before, go try that out. I'm hoping and assuming that most of you have. Um, and if you have, then maybe bring some along with that hasn't done it before and help, help them try something new. So that's uh, my philosophical take on it. And I want to say thank you to everybody that tunes in. It really helps a lot if you could share the podcast uh, whichever social channel you utilize the most, spread the word. Ratings and reviews mean the world to me personally, but they also help us climb the ranks in iTunes to make sure we're getting our word out to more folks and spread that public land positivity. So uh, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Hope you have a great day and hunt public.